You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to Beyond Bizarre True Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Zodiac Speaking, Scene of the Crime, and Three Men and a Mystery. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And welcome to Beyond Bizarre True Crime. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And we are the hosts of Twisted and Uncorked Podcast. Bizarre and twisted stories, with a dose of comedic relief, are our specialty. But our stories aren't always true crime. Today, we are bringing you a true crime story that is beyond bizarre. This is the case of the Richardson murders. In Medicine Hat, Alberta, on April 23, 2006, a young boy in the neighborhood went to see if his friend, Jacob Richardson, could play. After getting no answer at the front door, he went around back to see if anyone was awake yet. When he peeked in a basement window, he saw the bloody bodies of Mark and Deborah Richardson. The boy ran back to his mom and said, There are dead people in Jacob's house. She went to investigate it for herself. She peeked through the same window that her son had, and her heart sank. She called 911. Mark Richardson was born into a Catholic family and had four sisters. He was described as a bear of a man with a bushy mustache and dark hair. Mark met Deborah in 1990 at a gym. They were both previously addicts when they met, and they worked strongly on their sober existence together before starting their family. The two married in Toronto before moving to Alberta. They were very much in love and supported one another. In Alberta, Mark became an engineer, 
Deborah was a happy mother who was interested in Native American spirituality and Reiki, something we are also very interested in if you check out our podcast. Mark and Deborah had two children together. The first was Jasmine, and Jacob was born four years later. Jacob, who was eight, was known as the class clown. He was just a funny little boy. He was into hockey and being a Jedi. Oh my god, my heart. (laughs) He loved his family, and he looked up to his big sister, Jasmine. Jasmine, who was 12, was considered to be a good girl, a good student, and she loved spending time with her younger brother. She was into art and poetry, but as she was getting older, she started to express herself differently and became interested in goth aesthetic. She went to a Christian school, but she started to push the limits of the dress code. She liked to wear dark clothes, short skirts, chains, chokers, fishnets, darker makeup, all the cool stuff. We all did it, right? Yeah, of course. I'm sure she got a daily talking to as well. (laughs) Eye roll. Her parents wanted to support her expressing herself. They thought, she isn't hurting anyone, just leave her alone. Aw. Eventually... Jasmine rebelled more and more. She pushed curfew. She went to all-age punk concerts on the weekends. And when she was just 11, she had signed herself up on social media sites, claiming to be 16 with the usernames X underscore madness underscore X and killer kitty and runaway devil. Love it. The interests that she posted on her page included hatchets, blood, moonlight, crime stories, and kinky shit. I mean, I like moonlight also, but... (laughs) And crime stories, hey. Yeah, and crime stories. (laughs) Her heroes listed were Jeffrey Dahmer, Batman, Chris Angel, and Marilyn Manson. Okay. Yeah, it's getting... A little too far. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little extra. All of it was just a silly rebellion that I'm sure we can all relate to, even if it's extremely cringy to know that we lived that way once upon a time. (laughs) (laughs) But that was until she met Jeremy Stanky. Stanky? Is that how you say it? Okay, just making sure. It makes me laugh every time. (laughs) Jeremy had a rough upbringing. He had an alcoholic mother and lived with her many abusive boyfriends. They beat him, dragged him by the ears, tied him to chairs for hours, pushed his head into deep freezers. All horrific things. No one should have to grow up like this. No. And by the time he was a teenager, he had already attempted suicide once. Oh. He was also bullied in school, where the kids called him Stinky. He did, however, mesh well with one group once his family moved to Medicine Hat, Alberta. It was the goth group, of course. He loved ACDC. He drank. He smoked weed. He did mushrooms and acid. Eventually, he dropped out of school just three months into the 10th grade. That's a lot of drugs for high school. Yeah. I mean, we all tried the odd drink and maybe smoked weed, but mushrooms and acid just... Most interestingly, Jeremy believed that he was a 300-year-old werewolf, and he wore a necklace with a vial of blood around his neck. 
Do we not all? If that's not beyond bizarre, I don't know what is. (laughs) He said he was part of a Lycan Brotherhood. On social media, his likes included fellow Lycan brethren, mosh pits, gothic beings, kinky fetishes, blood, nails, aggressiveness, like just general aggressiveness, eyeliner, dark clothing, and punk, metal, and rock music. And, like, does he mean nails as in fingernails or nails as in, like, a hammer and Totally nails. a hammer and nails. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, those goth people are like, I eat nails for breakfast. Yes, true. True enough. <laughs> I picture that's, the one on Spongebob. Yeah. <laughs> Without any milk. If you've seen Spongebob, you might uh, laugh. <laughs> He also had a set of dislikes online that were rather disturbing, such as pigs, prostitutes, spiderwebs, backstabbers, and getting his heart broken again. Although he did mention liking to kill quote unquote prostitutes on his page, so Not there's good. that. Not good. Jasmine met Jeremy through a friend of hers that hung in the same crowd as Jeremy. She thought that they had a lot in common and that they should meet. Terrible friend. Yeah, I was like, and why is she hanging out with, like, a group of 23-year-olds? Right. (laughs) At the same time as this 12-year-old. Yeah. Yes, right? They also started talking on a few different social media platforms and started chatting on VampireFreaks.com and Nexopia. Which Sierra and I discussed in a... A bonus episode of ours on Patreon that um, when we used to, you know, be on MySpace and that kind of stuff. And I believe Nexopia is a Canadian thing. You had never heard of it? Correct. I have never heard of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I might have been sheltered, though. Never know. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was sketchy. Like, it was public to everybody. I bet you if I Googled my old, old page, I would be able to find it. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be very cringe. Was it just now. social media? Yes. Okay. It wasn't like Instant Messenger. No. Okay. Jasmine and Jeremy had their first date at a punk rock concert, and allegedly, Jeremy was under the impression that Jasmine was closer to 16. But that's still a problem here, because, like we said, at this point in our story, Jeremy is 23. Oh, and by the way, Jasmine is 12, not 16. Yikes. The two quickly fell into an us-against-them relationship. We all had one of those in high school, right? Definitely. (laughs) Jasmine thought she loved him. She loved his energy. They had a lot in common. They hung out in similar crowds. They talked on the phone every night, and he would serenade her with songs that he wrote about her and make her feel special. They exchanged disturbing and mushy messages and emails and poems and notes. Okay. I'm all about romance, but unsolicited singing is always cringeworthy to me. (laughs) Please don't sing at me. (laughs) Jasmine's parents obviously were not at all okay with her dating a 23-year-old man. Even if the abuse that he suffered led him to behave like he was mentally younger and believe that he had lived in a fantasy world where he was a vampire, it's still not okay. He's 23. Eventually, Jasmine's personality started to change for the worst. 
Her school guidance counselor was starting to become worried about her looks and her attitude. She said that she wanted to be put into foster care because her family were assholes and wouldn't let her do anything. They started to fight a lot, and she was getting grounded more and more. When her parents finally decided to dig through her things to find out what was going on with their little girl, emails and messages back and forth with Jeremy, and even the way that she presented herself on social media was awful. Yeah, and they were, like, so supportive of her, like, expressing herself through her clothes and things like that. Right. When it takes a deep turn, when your heroes are, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, we got a problem. Well, even I could say, I mean, I'm not saying her hero should be Jeffrey Dahmer. Let me correct that real quick before everybody turns this off. Um, but <laughs> children say dumb things. Just because she says mm-hmm. her hero is Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't mean she actually believes that. Like, yeah. I'm sure I said some super cringy, dumb things when I was little, but I did not date a 23-year-old man. And I did not claim to be older than I was. So, yeah, those things are criminal. (laughs) Yes, those are worrisome, for sure. Jasmine's parents took away her phone and her computer rights, and they even went to family counseling together. At times, the Richardson parents would start to feel that they could trust Jasmine again, and they would even give her back some of her privileges, like, here's your phone, here's a little bit of computer time, you can go to a concert if you want. But then they'd catch her sneaking around with Jeremy again, like making out in the alley behind the house, and they'd have to take it all away all over again. But the forbidden love story only made her want him more, and she spoke to Jeremy by using the library computers. Soon, they were so serious that they were having sex, and Jasmine began doing drugs with Jeremy at 12 Yeah, that's not good. And then they decided it might be best to model the movie that they loved, Natural Born Killer, to kill Jasmine's family. And there is a written record of the entire plan. Because all very intelligent criminals (laughs) base their next moves on a movie and write it all down through emails, right? Of course. All good times. Um, And this is where our story is going to take a bit of a dark turn. So, trigger warning. On the night of the murders, Jasmine had herself a goddamn bubble bath and told her friends that she wasn't going to be able to go to the mall with them the next day because she was planning to murder her family and obviously was going to be on the run. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Yeah, right? It was like a 2022 TV show. Right? You got to get ready for all good murders with a good bubble bath. Jeremy had asked his friend on one occasion to help him do it. They were doing drugs at the time, though, so the friend declined, but really didn't take it seriously. He did ask again, though, and his friend obviously said no again. But when Jeremy realized that he knew he was being serious, he said that he would kill him if he told anyone about this. And that is why that friend never came forward to report this prior. Oh my goodness. He and his friends, like Sierra said, watched Natural Born Killers, and Jeremy went to get cocaine and alcohol. He did at least six lines of it, according to his dealer's girlfriend, drank half a bottle of vodka, and then headed to the Richardson home. Jeremy pulled up in his mother's pickup truck, 
snuck through a basement window at 4 a.m. that Jasmine snuck out of often, and in the process, he woke up Deborah. He had a knife in his pocket, and Deborah thought that Jasmine was trying to sneak out again and went down to the basement to confront her, but instead came face to face with a coke-fueled Jeremy. Jeremy immediately began slashing at her, and she did try and fight back. She had many injuries on her hands and forearms, showing that she did try and fend off the knife, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. He stabbed her over a dozen times. Jesus. In this process, Mark was woken up to the screams of his wife. He ran down to try and attack Jeremy instantly, and he put up a hell of a fight. Unfortunately, though, he was overcome due to the number of stab wounds that he had endured. Goodness gracious. I know, like, all of this is happening so quickly. By this time, Jasmine had gone downstairs and had seen her mom lying in a pool of blood and Jeremy and her dad fighting. Jasmine recalled later that Jeremy had yelled at her father that Jasmine wanted this. She ran back upstairs, not helping her dad because she sucks. And also the last thing that Mark heard was that his daughter wanted them dead. So that's really heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But do you really think she wanted him dead? She's 12. This adult yeah, molded think, her mind. I know. It's disgusting. I don't, she, I don't think she knows what she wanted. I think she just wanted to be with her boyfriend and made a series of really poor decisions. We've been, however, we've been talking a lot about con men lately. I think she was brainwashed. Yeah, definitely groomed for sure. Yes. Yikes. But these next moves um, will make you dislike her a little bit. Jeremy went upstairs to find Jasmine after Mark was conceivably dead. Jacob was cowering in his bed, crying and screaming for his older sister, not knowing what was going on. She tried to console him, but had also tried to hurt him at the same time. While she was hugging him, she tried to squeeze his neck. He was able to break free and ran into the hallway where he was basically ganged up on by Jeremy and Jasmine. Jasmine slashed her little brother's throat from ear to ear, and he died choking on his own blood. Ugh. He was only eight years old, and Jeremy recalled that she was scary calm while she was doing this. That's just the he said, she said, though. Yeah, and they all turn on each other in the end, right? Yeah. We see this with many killer couples. And the saddest thing ever, too, that I read in the book, um, Runaway Devil, is... Jacob tried to defend himself with his lightsaber. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just it hurt my heart, that poor kid. Goodness gracious. Following the murders, the couple cleaned themselves up, took their bloody clothes with them, disposing of them in a trash can. They then took Deborah's purse and made a withdrawal at the bank before going to Jeremy's Coke dealer's home. They tried to stage the situation as if Jasmine had been kidnapped after this attack ensued. Which, like, why would... I, man, that just doesn't happen. If kidnappers are going to kidnap, they don't usually kill an entire family in the process. Not usually. Not saying it doesn't happen. There are cases <laughs> where it does, but it just doesn't feel likely. Jasmine and Jeremy attended a party that very evening, and they acted as if they didn't just murder an entire family. They also had sex, and partygoers stated some pretty heavy PDA. During the party, 
they told everybody about the murders, and Jasmine had even bragged about it, saying, quote, my little brother gargled. Don't like that. No. That's where I'm like, you're kind of a monster. A young, impressionable monster, but still a monster. A young, impressionable monster, yes. Casey, a friend of theirs, along with two other people, were planning on going to Leader, where one of them had family in the next province over. They offered to take Jasmine and Jeremy with them, not knowing what they had just done, but just thinking that they were trying to run away together because Jasmine's parents wouldn't let them be together. Mm. Meanwhile, as Sierra said at the start of the story, the bodies were discovered. Following the news of the murders, some of the partygoers started to come forward with the information that they knew and what Jasmine and Jeremy had been saying at the party. Blood evidence would be their undoing, though, and oh boy, was there a lot of it. Oh, goodness. Jasmine's photo was plastered everywhere, with people looking for her and Jeremy as murder suspects. In addition to the blood evidence, they found a cartoon drawing in Jasmine's locker outlining the plan, as well as all of the emails that the couple had sent back and forth. They are so... immaturely dumb (laughs) yeah right like they were like oh this is a brilliant plan let's first sketch it out so we we know what we're gonna do yeah that's that's kind of what makes me think that like she wasn't in a right state of mind to actually know what she was doing childish state of mind so childish what's gonna happen yeah a rookie cop named aaron Eworth, I also read in some places as Ewart, so take that how you will, was on his first shift in leader and had seen the all points bulletin about the two suspects involved in a triple homicide. He was a smart ass rookie though, and he thought, hey, if they're coming from Madison Hat, they're gonna need gas. So he decided to hang out at the largest gas station off the highway and waited for a few hours to see if anything happened. As he sat there, he noticed a truck come rolling in. As soon as it stopped, three girls came spilling out of the front seat and went into the gas station. While in there, the girls noticed a newspaper with the news of Jasmine's family and her face with the wanted sign above it. They grabbed food, drinks, and the paper and went back outside to show them. Initially, they thought that maybe somebody had broken in and done this, but... When they showed Jasmine, she giggled and proceeded to tell them that they were responsible for this. Again, so young and dumb that they went to the biggest gas station. Like, if you were actually trying to be a criminal and get away with things, these are big mistakes. Right? Maybe, friends, can we take this side road and go to this very sketchy gas station instead? Yeah. The friends realized that they needed to get the heck out of there quickly. But meanwhile, the same rookie officer had been following them. He called for backup, and an arrest was made. Twelve is the youngest possible age at which a person can be charged with a crime in Canada. Convicts who were under the age of 14 at the time that they committed the crime cannot be sentenced as adults and cannot be given more than a 10-year sentence. Jasmine, who had just turned 13 before being convicted, 
was the youngest person in Canada to ever convicted of a multiple first-degree murder. Mm. Her 10-year sentence was completed by May of 2016, and her sentence included credit for the 18 months that she had already spent in custody. To be followed by four years in a psychiatric institution and a four-and-a-half-year um, supervision in the community. So, I mean, I kind of like that Canadian laws are a little bit more lenient than we typically see in the U.S. At least on children, for sure. Yes, because we just did the case of, or Sierra just covered Centoya Brown, who was 16 at the time that she committed her crime, and sentenced to life. had a very different outcome, yes. So, and I think it's good as well that if Jasmine did all of, like, when Jasmine did all of this, like, it's good that she was able to, you know, be in psychiatric care and receive treatment and treatment. counseling. Yes. And, yeah. Important. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, you you clearly have some things going on that we need to talk about. Yes. Jeremy Stanky, now going by the name Jackson May, was also convicted on three counts of first degree murder. He was tried in November of 2008 and found guilty by a jury on three counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Deborah, Mark, and Jacob. He was sentenced to three life sentences, one for each murder count, and they were to be served concurrently. He will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years. And the thought is he changed his name because he's responsible for killing a child, and as we know that doesn't go so well in prison. Right. Or maybe they were calling him Stinky, too. (laughs) A little bit of prison yard justice and bullying. (laughs) (laughs) Casey Lancaster, their mutual friend that had helped them get away in all of this, did receive an accessory to murder charge, but this was dropped when she pleaded guilty to an obstruction charge in Medicine Hat at the provincial court. She received one year of house arrest as part of the plea bargain and was ordered to refrain from drugs and alcohol. Because remember, she was the same age as Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hopefully that I mean, changed her life for the better. She shouldn't be doing this level of drugs and alcohol as well. So, yes, I'm very hopeful that that did change her life for the better. But just in case anyone was wondering what happened to her, because she was driving them out of the province. So... And uh, yeah, that is our very dark story with a, a little bit of twists and turns and a 300-year-old werewolf. So, A 300-year-old werewolf. Again, beyond bizarre. Yes. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Uh, if you liked what you hear, you can head on over to our podcast, Twisted and Uncorked, and check out some other bizarre and twisted stories as well. Beyond Bizarre True Crime is produced by Mike Morford and Jess Betancourt for Abjack Entertainment with music by Connor Betancourt. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe wherever you are listening now and please take a moment to rate and review the show. You can find Beyond Bizarre True Crime on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Beyond Bizarre TC. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Beyond Bizarre True Crime Podcast. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests on Beyond Bizarre True Crime do not necessarily represent those of the show's creators, producers, or sponsors. Be sure to tune in on Saturdays for all new episodes of Beyond Bizarre True Crime.